Um, that is okay. If you guys want to join along with uh, the read, <coughs> I would encourage you to get your Bibles. <clears throat> I'm not going to be very long. However, I just want to preface our, our prayer meeting today with a bit of instruction and uh, direction when it comes to prayer. Amen. Now, um, again, if you want to follow along, I'm using the NIV version. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to have us turn there, but I do want to allude to Genesis, okay, uh, to to base the today's instruction in prayer. Um, what we have to understand is that Adam... Do, do any of us recall what God told Adam in the garden? He told him to have dominion. Amen? I'm sure we recall that in our Bibles if we've read uh, Genesis. <clears throat> now, Amen. we have to understand the importance of that because, number one, let me point out a couple of observations from that text is that this was before sin had entered mankind, correct? The interesting thing is this. Satan was present even before mankind sinning because the serpent was in the garden and he was the subtle above all creatures. Okay, So we see the presence of evil even before there was a reality of sin. And so despite Adam having... Uh, before Adam having partaken of the fruit, and prior to the fall of Adam, prior to the infection of sin, prior to the expulsion from the, the presence of God, Adam was told by God to have dominion. Okay, So we see from the gate that this was God's intention, this was God's design it would, so now, unless, of course, you're a Calvinist, which we're not here, is, is uh, Calvinists say that it was God's entire design from the, perp from the beginning for Adam to mess up. It was God's design from the beginning for basically Adam to be pre-programmed for failure, pre-programmed pre to sin. And we know that God doesn't operate that way. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anybody, right? It's not God's desire. It, it, it goes in, in the complete opposite direction of the heart of God when we see that it's not God's heart for a, a man to, to die. He says, do I desire the death of the wicked, right? And so if, if God doesn't desire the death of the wicked, why would he set up Adam to die, right? And so <clears throat> we know that 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 that's not God's heart's desire is for uh you know so now with that said understand that Adam was in the state of paradise with the presence of the devil and 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 evil and and God desired for Adam to rule to reign and to have dominion okay now that's important because we see now, without going into all of the details and justifying this claim, understand that the purpose for Jesus' coming was to restore that which Adam had lost. Okay? So, Amen. Jesus says, He that believes on me shall not taste death. So, he had come to negate the works of the devil it was Satan who had enticed Eve, who had then given the fruit to her husband. But, and since it was Satan's work to accomplish that end, Jesus, the second man, Adam, had then come to destroy and nullify all that Satan had caused in the garden. There was now a separation between God and man. Okay, so <clears throat> when Jesus, the second man, Adam, had come, he had fully resisted in every point. He had resisted sin, the temptation. He had resisted it in all points, unlike Adam. He, he had uh, resisted temptation in all points, unlike the Israelites who wandered 
in the desert for 40 years. Jesus only wandered. He didn't wander. He, he was there on assignment in the wilderness for 40 days. So he was, he was accomplishing what man failed to do. Now with that said, okay, now let me, let me correct our thinking here. And I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this. <clears throat> People say that Satan is the God of the world. Now, that cannot be true because we see in Psalm chapter 2 that it was prophesied through the mouth of David by the Holy Ghost <clears throat> that Jesus will inherit all things. Okay? Now, it says that he will inherit the nations. Now, it, the nations have rightfully and legally been given to Jesus Christ as the second man, Adam. Therefore, how can the devil be God over, with, over what Jesus is Lord over? Does that make sense? Now, what, what will come to mind, typically, because, well, well, what about this passage? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says the God of this world, right? I'm sure that you guys have read that passage. Oh, well, here is a refutation. Here's a counterclaim to what you're saying here. <clears throat> now, two, two things you have to bear in mind. Let me first give you this principle. When you read the text, you cannot read it as a 21st century Westerner. Um, you cannot read it. <clears throat> Look. Uh, you know, me and my cousin, we were meeting the other day on, on Zoom and, uh, he was talking about, uh, 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 he's like, Hey, what, what is, uh, geek? He says, what is geeks mean? Uh, geeked mean, uh, in your, in your vernacular, in your era. Cause you know, my cousin's, you know, uh, almost pushing to his fifties now. And I was like, well, I, I remember in my era, we used to say, Oh, that dude, he's geeked up. Right, and that meant like, oh, he's fresh, like he he got swag. He's like, oh, okay. He says, well, in my day, it meant like he he's on one. He's like on crack or something. He says because my niece was talking to me, and she's like, I'm I'm super geeked, and she he's like, what 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 are you smoking? And she's like, no, I'm not smoking anything. So like, you said you're geeked, and he's like, no, I didn't mean that. And I I forgot what it means in today's vernacular. But the point, though, is that you can immediately see that just from the, I mean, maybe one of you guys can help me out today, uh, uh, you Gen Z, what does it mean? Uh, if you guys know, maybe, <clears throat> and here's another thing, maybe, maybe even though you're from the same generation, you're not from the same location or demographics, right? So in Europe, you guys probably don't use that, right? Or you know, what we use here on the West may not, may not be what you guys used on the East. So the point though is this, um, okay, but, but you're, you're not Gen Z. So that's, that's, I think what you, you... anyways, the point, the, the point is this, <clears throat> you can immediately see from demographics and, um, and generation is a difference of understanding with terminology, right? So now how much more if over the space of like one decade to another decade to another decade, how much more from 21st century America versus 1st century Jerusalem? You can, you can see, I hope, that there's going to be a vast difference. So that when we pick up the Bible, we can't say, oh, this is what it means. No, it meant something to them, right? And so we have to be careful when reading that because when we read the God of this world, what did God tell Moses in Exodus chapter 7? He says, I shall make you like God unto Pharaoh. That's what he says. Go check it. Exodus chapter 7 verse 1. What does he say in John chapter 10? Jesus says to the religious authorities, he says, is it not written in your law that you are God's? Lowercase g. Now he's citing the Psalms. It's somewhere in the uh, 80s. 
Psalm 80 something. The point is this, when in con now furthermore in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the context necessitates that the God there is Moses. Because in the preceding verses, he just got through telling you that when Moses is read, there's a veil over their faces. And who put the veil over his face? Moses. Why did he put the veil over his face? So that the Israelites could not see the glory, the end of the cup, the, the, the end purpose of the law. They couldn't see the glory to which it was pointing to. So the person who is doing the veiling was Moses. And so that's why it says the God, Exodus chapter 7, verse 1 refers to Moses as God, lowercase g, not capital G, blinds the minds of those who believe not. Now, who was Paul referring to? He was contrasting between those of the old covenant and those of the new covenant. He says, for unto today, when Moses is read, read there's a veil over their face. Now, you have to understand, he says, however, in the Lord, that veil is removed. He says, he says, for now we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So they couldn't look at Moses' face because there was a veil. Therefore, their minds were darkened and veiled and blinded. But when we turn to the Lord, the veil is removed and we see his face. Do you see? Now, secondly, the word there for world isn't the word cosmos, where we see in John chapter 3, verse 16, and other passages which refers to the inhabited world. It's the word aeon, not the word cosmos. So, it is actually the word age. So, the God of that age. And this is what the Jews understood, that there would ultimately be two ages, the old Mosaic age and the eternal age of the Messiah. Is that making sense? So, with all that said, now, even if you don't grant all of that, the point is this. You still have to reconcile, which it's irreconcilable, the fact that the Bible clearly states that Jesus is Lord over all. So, how can the devil be God over what Jesus is Lord over? And secondly, why would the de why would the Bible refer to the devil as God? When nowhere in the scriptures does it refer to him as such. Amen. You you got you got to you, you got to think about those things. See, what we've been do what has been happened is you know, all of our lives we've been told that the dog is a cat so that when you tell someone that the dog isn't a cat, it's actually a dog, it shocks us, like, whoa. But then when you, you know, point out the biology of the dog and, you know, present evidence, it's like, whoa, hold on, let me, let me reconfigure my mind here. Um, so, does that make sense? <coughs> now, um, I'm not here to just, um, that's not the end purpose for why I'm bringing this up. It's to establish the fact that Jesus, that the devil is not God over this world. Now, what I am not saying is that the devil is without influence here. The devil certainly has influence. Okay. But, now, I, wa I want you to see, in Psalm chapter 2, to show you something here. Now, I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this. Now, because we the, if we don't understand these things, our praying <coughs> will be suffering a deficit. It will be suffering... It, it will be suffering with wrong beliefs. Because we might have a heart to pray. We might have a lot of energy uh, that we are ready to dispense in prayer. But if we're carrying a baggage of beliefs when we pray, it can affect our praying. For example, if a cessationist doesn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Ghost anymore, so how do you think that may affect his or her praying? 
right? They, they're, they're not going to step out in faith and pray for certain things. So, uh, and, and I can go on with, with a number of, of, of ways that someone's beliefs can negate specific praying. Okay, now when we look at Psalm chapter 2 verse 1, uh, verse 6, it says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Now, if you were here last time, you would, you would, uh, you were here Saturday, you would know that the Mount Zion really is what is spoken about in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews is informing the church. He says, you have not come unto a mountain that can be touched. He's not referring to a tangible mountain. He's referring to a spiritual reality that now and, and look, th this is one of the things I said to a brother on Facebook yesterday. I said, look, bro, I said, when it comes to this whole physical stuff, I said, the problem of the Christian church today is what the problems of the Jews were in the first century. They were looking for a physical manifestation of a kingdom, and so is the Christians today. Now, when he's, and Jesus already got through telling us in Matthew, he says, don't think that the kingdom of God can be observable with eye, with the human eye. Now I'm paraphrasing, but that's the effect of what he was saying. Because they're like, you know, hey, you don't, they'll say, here's the kingdom, there's the kingdom. He says, it can't be observed with human eye. He says, the kingdom is in your midst. That's what he said. Amen. So Amen. now the kingdom is whose kingdom? The Davidic kingdom, right? See, and this is also why we have to know Jewish history. We have to know the Old Testament and, you know, I, I told someone recently, this, this brother who uh, uh, w was insisting that this, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into details about the doctrine, but the doctrine is fallacious. I said, brother, you have to read more than Romans and Ephesians to understand the New Testament. The, and that's typically all the reform love reading. Oh, you know, we're going to have an exegesis on Ephesians today. We're saved by grace. And that's the extent of the gospel. That's not the extent of the gospel. That's the elementaries of the gospel. I know that offends people because they're like, you know, what can be greater than Jesus dying for our sins? Nothing is greater than Jesus dying for our sins. But the point, in fact, is that that is elementary. You know, and now I don't mean to insult anybody, but if you've been saved for five years, you should be testifying of things beyond, oh, I used to be a no good for nothing crack addict. I, 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 you know, God delivered me from alcohol. I'm just, I'm just glad I'm saved. I'm not, I'm not saying don't thank God for that, but it, there should be testimonies after testimonies of what God is doing in your life today. Now, if, 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 if you don't believe me, if you look at Hebrews chapter 6, it tells you that, that that is the elementary teachings of the doctrines of Christ. And the writer of Hebrews in the 6th chapter says, let us move beyond the elementary teachings of the doctrines of Christ. And God willing, we will do so. What was the issue? The issue is that they were relapsing back into Judaism. Which is why he's, he, he, he at length expands on the reality that Jesus is superior as a mediator of a better covenant. And he proves verse by verse all throughout the law and the prophets how Jesus is that fulfillment of all that the law and the prophets testified of. Why? Because they were tempted to go back to Judaism. And so he has to say, look, man, come on, get it together. The time you ought to be teachers, you have need someone for someone to teach you the elementary doctrines of Christ. We shouldn't have to be going over this. That, that's what his mentality was. Now, <clears throat> so we have to understand the Old Testament. We have to go beyond, you know, our Western mindset, and secondly, we have to go beyond the elementary doctrines of Christ. Now, uh, uh, so when Jesus, when David, he was a king, right? Now, what was referred to as the city of David? 
Where was God's inhabited, desired inhabited place? It was Mount Zion. Because upon Mount Zion resided the temple. And so, you know, and this was David's heart's desire. He says, the one thing that I've sought after, this is what I seek after most, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to inquire in his beauty, to seek his beauty and to inquire in his temple. Now, <clears throat> David, he was a king. Right now, you know, I'm getting somewhere. Keep in mind, Adam, dominion. What, what fight did David lose? When David had gone to battle and he, he started conquering region after region, right? See, David was originally king over, um, you know, only his kingdom kept expanding, right? And, 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 and so it was promised to David that he shall not fail to have a son to sit upon his throne. And guess what? It wasn't referring to Solomon. It was referring to Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, in fulfillment of Psalm 89, would be that king that would, would, would uh, uh, ascend to the throne after that Davidic lineage. Now, now, if David was conquering kingdom after kingdom, and Jesus is, is uh, the one who followed after that lineage and has succeeded David to that throne, and is the consummation of that throne, and David ruled over Zion, what does that imply now? That Jesus rules from Zion. This is why in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, it says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, it is undoubtedly referring to Jesus because the, uh, the uh, apostles in the book of Acts quote this passage in reference to Jesus. Does that make sense? So he's not referring to David here. He's referring to Jesus Christ. Now, the Zion, we learn in Hebrews 12, is actually the church. What does he say? You have not come unto a mountain that can be touched. He says, but you have come unto Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, if it's heavenly, it's not earthly. The church of the firstborn. So, Mount Zion, according to the perspective of the writer of Hebrews, is conflating Zion with the church. And this is what Paul says in Colossians was the hope of glory. Jesus Christ in your midst, the hope of glory. So when it is said that Jesus is ruling from Zion, he's ruling in the midst of the church. Come on, somebody. So you know what that means? That means that, that, means that he got to rule through us. And so... so uh, and why that is critical is because we have to, as Adam did, see, Jesus is the second man, Adam, who is to have dominion, but Jesus isn't here anymore. He's not here in flesh and blood. But you know who is? You and I. And you know who is his hands and his feet? You and I. So when it is said that Jesus should have dominion, you know what that implies? That you and I should have dominion. Look at what it says. Um, I, I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. I hope that we're learning something here. It says, uh, go there. Psalm 110, beginning at verse 1. <coughs> okay, so in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the church, he says, you're one body, but many members. Okay. He says, the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. So, so uh, Paul says in reference to the evangelist, he says, blessed are the feet of those who bring good tidings. So the feet of Jesus is members of the body of Christ. The hands of Jesus are members of the body of Christ. Does that make sense? So when it says that God will put things under his feet, you know, who, who, who's his feet? Body of Christ. Yes. 
Amen. So Psalm 110, the Bible says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. So it's from the church. Again, reference back, correlate this with Hebrews 12, right? And Galatians 4. Galatians 4 says that uh, the heavenly Jerusalem is the mother of us all, right? Uh, also look at Isaiah 66, Isaiah 65. Um, but it says, The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. So even from the garden, Adam was supposed to rule. He was supposed to have dominion. Who was his enemy? The devil. The devil was still in, he was in the garden. Alright? Now, now here's the thing. Go to Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> if there's any if there's any question that 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 passage is what it's referring to, go to Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> Um, give me one second. Sometimes I get, I forget these passages. Yes, yeah, Romans 16, verse 20. Romans 16, verse 20. Look at what Paul is saying to the church at Rome. <clears throat> the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So, what's the deal here? I thought uh, uh, Satan's head uh, was bruised, or, or the um, yeah, his head would be crushed when Jesus died. Why did Paul then promise a later time in which God will crush the head of Satan underneath their feet? Have you ever thought about that? Right? Isn't that what is said in Genesis? That the, 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 the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent and shall bruise his heel. Anybody recall that passage? Amen. Amen. Okay, so I, I thought Jesus did that at the cross. Now I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you know the devil wasn't disarmed and all that at the cross but the point though is this is that Paul is is promising the church at Rome that God will accomplish something and that he will place something underneath their feet and and that something is Satan now what did that actually look like I don't have time to to uh substantiate this and prove it but this was largely referring to 8070. So Jerusalem was under Roman occupation. Okay? And and the the Psalms that we quoted in Psalm chapter 2 where it says why did the heathen rage and the the Gentiles plot a vain thing? Well the Gentiles there is referring to the Romans and the kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, referring to the Sanhedrin council, the high priests, the scribes, the priests, and all of them, right, who, who, who were ruling over the religious system, which, by the way, is the first beast. And the second beast was Rome, typified by Nero. But nevertheless, um, and you can read that, I believe it's in Revelation 16 or Revelation 18. Uh, don't quote me on it, but it's somewhere in, in near that section. So, in Psalm 2, it's quoted by the apostles in the book of Acts. Okay, now the, the, Peter is saying, Lord, consider their threatenings. That's what he prayed 
in Acts, okay, he's quoting Psalms. It, it throughout that throughout Acts are quoting Psalms and Psalm uh, Psalm two Psalm chapter one hundred and ten. In both cases, there's a promise that there would be a ruling in the midst of the enemies, that there would be a defeat of the enemies. Does that make sense so far? So. When Paul is promising to the church at Rome that God will soon crush Satan underneath their feet, what that looks like in real time is the defeat of the enemies of God. That's what it looks like in real time. Um, now, I know that so much can be said about that, but I'll just leave it there and, and hopefully pick up on it some other time. But... That's actually what it's referring to. And um, so, look at Psalm 110, look at verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Wow. Now, now, the word nations there, I know that this is Hebrew, but in the Greek Septuagint, now Greek Septuagint is a Greek translation, ancient translation. When I say ancient, this was actually before the first century. It's a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. The word nations is, is the word ethnus, where it can be translated nations or Gentiles. Okay, so now... Uh, why that's important is because um, it was sometimes when you see Gentiles, it can refer to nations. Sometimes when you see nations, it can refer to Gentiles. That's just that's um, that's how that that word works there in the Greek. Now, why that's important is because when you when you think of Jerusalem, Samaria, you think of all these other parts of the world of the world now when it says world it's referring there to the jewish world and or the roman world or you know vice versa and so there was a number of nations that comprised that world so for example luke chapter 2 verse 1 where it says in the days of caesar augustus the whole world was taxed and this is a point that i like to point out do you really think the whole world was taxed all seven continents no it was under the rule of Caesar Augustus. So he had a rule over the Roman world. So even though that the word Roman is omitted, it's not mentioned in the word world, it's implied that the whole world there is the Roman world. Now, who had power over Jerusalem in the first century? Rome did. Okay? Now, the... Now, so it interests you to know that the, the woman spoken about in Revelation chapter 18, the great prostitute that rode on the beast, well, the great prostitute was unfaithful Israel that was in cahoots with Rome. Okay? Um, uh, I'll just leave it there. But, but that's what that's referring to. So, I'll, I'll be coming to a close here now. Um, and I'll get to my main point. Is that when God says that he would destroy the nations and heaping up the dead, crushing the rulers of the whole earth, this is in fulfillment of what Peter prayed in the book of Acts when he quoted this psalm. He says, consider their threatenings. The rulers of the earth that have come against the Lord and against his anointed... May you sit in the heavens and laugh. And may on the day of your wrath, you heap up them as bodies, as carcasses, in response of killing the Son of God. And this is what Jesus said would happen. He says, all the blood of righteous Abel to righteous Zechariah shall be required at this generation. So... So there was going to be a, a destruction and wrath for those who crucified the prophets, the apostles, Jesus Christ. 
And so when Peter is saying, Lord, in the book of Acts, consider their threatenings, quoting this passage. He's not saying, bless them. He's not saying, give them roses in response for their bloodshed. Do you see? So now, how does this relate to uh, 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 Genesis? We see that the way that this relates to Genesis in God telling Adam to have dominion, the same mandate is given and expected from the church. And the way that we accomplish that is the way that the apostles accomplished that in the early church. Now, this is the, pas I, I, this is the passage that I want to close with. And babe, you know, uh, as I turn to this passage, can you get Acts chapter 4, verse 25 uh, through 29? <coughs> as she uh, gets that passage, I'm just going to close with uh, Luke chapter 18. Is this okay? Amen. You know why this is important? Because when states here in America, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the federal government want to shoot down the state's uh, uh, laws that they have enacted, uh, uh, the federal government, the federal judge wants to say that it, it's a minor's right to castrate themselves, to, to, to uh, fulfill their so-called gender identity and, and get hormone blockers and puberty blockers and every other blocker except sin blocker. <laughs> they want to block everything except sin, right? So it, this is... See, what they're doing is they have become anti-Christ. And they're fighting against the Lord's agenda. They're fighting against the Christ. They're fighting against His church. They're fighting against the innocent. They're fighting against... And so the mandate on the church is no less true than what it was in Genesis and what it was in the days of the book of Acts. And it's this. Let my holy people have dominion. Let them rule in the midst of... Of their enemies, and I will just—I will just say to you, and I—I'll preach it to you like Paul said to the Romans: May the God of peace soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Hallelujah. Amen. May the God of peace soon crush the the head uh, of of LGBT under your feet. May he crush the head of Islam under your feet, of voodoo under your feet. And may he inherit the nations. May he rule and reign. And may just like King David, may he uh, enact righteousness and may justice go forth from his throne. Hallelujah. Our God is not passive. He rises up for the cry of the poor and the needy. He is a good God. He is a just judge. He is a wonderful counselor. And he doesn't allow for the tears of the oppressed to go unheard and unseen. And he does today just like he did before. And he considers their threatening. Hallelujah. He considers their laws. He looks upon their evil doings and he sits in the heavens and, the, and laughs. He's not twiddling his fingers. He's not anxious. He's not overcome with anxiety. He already knows what he's doing, but he's commanded the church to not give him rest and to pray night and day until justice goes forth and the church rises up like a beacon, like a city set on a hill. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. But look at what he says there in Acts. Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> you spoke by the Holy Spirit. It says, through the mouth of your servant, our father David, why did the heathens rage and the people's plot in vain? He's quoting Psalm 2 there. The kings of the earth rise up. Who were the kings? The Sanhedrin council. Pontius Pilate, all of them guys. Now, 
by the way, according to church history, did you know that Pontius Pilate, every day of his life, was, would wash his hands and he would say, the blood is not coming off. The blood is not coming off. The blood is not coming off. God sent him judgmental delusion for handing over the Son of God. He says, the guilt, the guilt, I, I can't wipe myself clean. The blood don't come off. Now, of course, he had the lesser sin, but still, God, God uh, you know, repaid him. It says, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, the word there for consider is the same word that's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, when Elizabeth said that, he, that God looked, or he considered, he considered, he looked upon his servant. And what was that in the context of? She was barren. And so when it says, God looked upon me or he considered me, it meant he actually did something about my barrenness. He didn't just, like, you know, with pity, oh, you poor thing, and did nothing about it. So when Peter is saying, consider their threatenings, he's in effect saying, God, look upon what they're doing and do something about it. Amen? <clears throat> Hallelujah. Uh, uh, so now this is the last passage. I want, I want you guys to bear with me. I, I know that this is prayer, but the, the opportunities I have to inform us more on prayer, I want to, I want to seize that opportunity to the effect that you don't have this defeatist mindset when you pray. You don't have all this, oh, we're just hanging on for dear life sort of mindset when we're praying. You don't have this, I want to be raptured from responsibility mindset. I want to get vacuumed out of this world. That You know, that's not the will of God. See, if God wanted you to get out of this world, you know, you know, <laughs> what were those old vacuums called? Like, I think it was called like Hoover. <laughs> Never mind. Um, but if it was the will of God for, for you to just leave this earth, he would have taken you a long time ago. Why did Jesus actually pray to the contrary what a lot of defeated Christians are praying? Oh, Jesus, I just want to go. I just want to leave this world behind. This world ain't got nothing for me. And, and Jesus in John says, Holy Father, I pray that you do not take them out of the world. We say, what would Jesus do? You know what Jesus would do? He would pray for you to stay stuck here so he can do something about this jacked up world. That's what he would do. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, 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 you know, we, we, we want to honor God. We want to love Jesus. We want his will. So what, what is his will? He told you his will in John. Because if, if it was otherwise, he would have taken you. And a lot of times, can I be honest, Christians just pray that out of depression. Oh, man. They're like Elijah. Oh, God, it's enough. Am I greater than my forefathers? Let me go. That's what they do. Now, I, I don't mean to add insult to injury if that's your mindset right now. But let me just prophesy to you, speak the word of the Lord of you, that that's not the will of God for your life. That's not the will of God for your mindset. We should be a holy breed of people. The world should look upon us and be attracted to what we have. <clears throat> the joy we have. You know, one of the most compelling things for me when I, was, uh, uh, when I wasn't saved yet, but I was going to church, I'll tell you what, this is exactly what my mindset was. I would see a lot of the people of God in the church have joy. And I thought, I didn't tell them, but in my head I said, man, they're not, they're not even getting high. 
They're not even partying. How are they? How are they so happy? They're just talking. They're just talking about the Lord. Of course, I didn't understand at the time. But I remember, I remember when I went to youth camp and I seen them all praying in tongues. I see them crying these these tears that were not dramatic. They weren't theatrical. And I said, God, I said, I need that. I need that. I I need what they have. I can't live life like this any longer. I was suffering from anxiety, from paranoia, fear of, of spinning, dying or going to prison. And I had no peace. I was waking up in the night through uh, with hot sweats and terror. It was it was it was torment. I was already abiding in death, condemnation, and hell. But thanks be unto God by the blood of Jesus Christ, He had transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Amen. It's a great kingdom. It's a mighty kingdom. And this king is ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the the lineage of David. And he's invincible in battle. And you know who are his troops? You. That's why it says in Psalm 110. It says in the day of his battle, his troops shall be willing. Are you his troop today? But look at... But look at what it says, uh, Luke chapter 18, and I, I will for sure close with this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I love what it says in KJV. They should not faint. Have you ever felt like fainting? Amen. That's not the will of God. People say, well, we all go through this. Yeah, we all go through it. But that's the thing. God gets us through it. You don't stay stuck in anything. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I'm just a man. We we all suffer. No, no. But see, God the Holy Ghost resides in you. So are you walking in the old man or are you walking in the spirit? Because if you're walking in the spirit, the language of the spirit should be yours. What did David say? He says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's what he said. I shall bless the Lord sometimes or when I'm happy. He says, no, I will bless him at all times because the Holy Ghost within you never suffers defeat, never suffers depression, never suffers. So when you're walking in the Holy Ghost and you pray in the Holy Ghost, you should be speaking forth the praises of Him who you know will draw you out. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. It said, so fainting is unbiblical. <laughs> there should be no fainting. Because young men, even they grow faint and weary. But it says, but those who wait upon the Lord, they shall what? They shall renew strength. So if you never have renewed strength, then you're not waiting upon God. He said in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. (coughs) There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now we must understand that this passage in prayer is relating to both importunity and prayer. In other words, Jesus says, don't faint. You're going to have to wait a little bit. But but the second observation from this text is that the specific petition was regarding justice against an adversary. Now remember, go back to Romans chapter 16 where it says, now who's the adversary? The devil. So God promised that he would soon crush the devil against the, the slanderer, the adversary underneath the feet of the Roman church. So I can say that today. Who's an adversary of the church? LGBT. God will soon crush LGBT underneath your feet. Now you might say, well, he's talking about the devil. But how how are you now conflating that with LGBT? But see, who does the devil work through? 
The devil needs a vessel. See, that's why when the demon is expelled from a house and says he seeks no, finds no rest, and he says, I will go back to my house from whence I'd come. So just like Jesus ain't doing anything on earth apart from what his church is doing. And that's why God's hands are tied to the extent that his church is willing to have the, allow the Lamb of God to have the full rewards of his sufferings. You are co-laborers together with God. You are his hands and feet. So if you say you ain't going anywhere, guess what? The body ain't going. But Jesus is walking through you. Does that make sense? Now, to be sure, sometimes he'll send an angel who will listen when you don't. But that's not the normative. Do you see Balaam's donkey, donkey every day talking? People always say, God, you know, God uses a donkey. Okay, tell me, show me the first one that you've seen that talked. Secondly, you want to be replaced by a donkey? Because God only commissions donkeys when people are stubborn. And I don't want the donkey to do for me what I should have done for myself for God. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So don't, do, don't be passed up by Balaam's donkey. Amen. You might just go to the zoo and, and, and the giraffe might tell you something. Stop being stubborn. <laughs> you're, you're petting a little like koala or something. And they're like, repent, you stubborn, stiff neck, whitewashed tomb. <laughs> right? Like, oh, you're not cute after all. I don't like that message. Shut up. <laughs> Start pounding the koala. <laughs> oh, man. <coughs> um, <coughs> so, let, let, let God use you. And so the point that I'm making is that Satan is typified in modern agendas today. He is the author of that. Amen. You know, so, so Jesus says, he that receives the son has the father. So these people are the sons of the devil. So when it says that God will, can, can we, re, can, you know, I like what Jesse Lee Peterson said. On his little podcast, you guys ever watch him? He's funny. I love how he just asks questions, y'all. So, when did you become gay? <laughs> and they're like, I'm getting off of this podcast. I don't like... <laughs> Anyways, if you guys have a chance, watch him. But <clears throat> he said, he was talking about uh, Satanists. He said, because he's like, yeah, I uh, discriminate against Satanists. He says, I don't want my children learning from a Satanist. And, he's, and the Satanists are why? He said, well, because they hate the devil. And he's all, and you're a son of the devil. So if we don't like his, if we don't like your father, why would we like you? That's what he said. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I, I'm not going to receive his son if I, if, I, if I reject the father. And the same thing applies to Jesus. You can't accept the son without accepting the father. You can't accept the father without accepting the son. So when, so when, when the Bible says God is going to crush Satan under your feet, does it mean with, with the exception of the sons? No, it means including his sons. Come on, somebody. Amen. <clears throat> so closing up with this parable for some time, he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think yet, because this widow keeps bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So will he find faith in you? Faith and prayer is inseparable. So when we say we believe God will do this, is he gonna? Is he gonna find you lacking in prayer? Is he gonna find that? Oh man, I just don't see this happening. I just don't see. Uh, so 
Are you speaking for the perspective of God because God sees it happening? Right? It's like all those unbelieving Christians, those unbelieving believers who spoke death over America and said that Roe versus Wade will never get overturned. Come on, somebody. They, they, they spoke. Amen. They spoke unbelief. But what happened? That devilish uh, 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 bill that was passed, uh, it got shot down. And good. Because a nation shall not be advocating for bloodshed. So, Amen. <clears throat> so two things. Is be mindful of the motif of dominion. Because all these passages and everything I've said thus far is only complementing the, re- the fact and God's desire for his church to have dominion. To rule in the midst of our enemies. To, to for, And what does that mean? It means that, hey, you should be having your own business. Forget reporting to the wicked. You should now. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to be a business owner, but it means that we're acclimating to greater uh, 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 positions of power and influence. Yeah, you may not be in the government, but here's the end goal. And this is a question that I always ask: Is it God's will for wickedness to be legislated? If the answer is no, then that means that something has to be done about that, and that God desires for righteousness. So my point is this: What are we doing about it? Are we handing over to the Muslims? Are we handing over to LGBT? Are we handing it over to the Marxists? Are we handing it over to the liberals? Right? Like that video I sent you in the chat, there was a man that was going to the city council meetings using witchcraft to listen to what was going on by astral projection. And then the church said, we need to do something about this. We need to begin to pray imprecatory prayers that God arise and his enemies be scattered. And then two weeks later, that man died. He was the head of the occult. Amen. Then his son uh, 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 succeeded him, and he shut the whole thing down. Amen. So when we pray against when we pray against uh, the devil's uh, 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 strategies and his agenda, that's what we're doing. Because you know what? People say it's mean. It's not mean. You know why? Because I hear the, the cries of the oppressed. Do we? When, when I think about praying these prayers, I hear the oppressed saying, I want free. I want my children free. I don't want us suffering from under this regime any longer. I don't want us to be in this concentration camp in North Korea any longer. Amen. So it's one of the most loving things to do. Say, God, if these people don't repent, wipe them out. Let them be anathema. That's what Paul said. And I'm simply using the text and saying, let us believe this text. What does it mean to be anathema? It means to be utterly cursed by God. Amen. Paul called down cursings. Galatians, read it. Let them be anathema. Now, certainly, those who do repent, we welcome them into the fold with great love and mercy, right? I'm not saying that that isn't a valid aspect of the Christian faith, because if it wasn't, none of us would be here. But we must understand that there are people that are hosts of wickedness that utterly hate God and hate the innocent. Amen. So don't faint in prayer. May it be your plea, O Lord, bring justice. O Lord, may justice go forth. You know Jesus loves justice. The the Jesus that we say we love so much, the modern church, because he first loved us. Yes, I love him because he first loved me. But you know, I also love him because he loves righteousness and hates wickedness. Amen. That's what Hebrews says. Uh, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee and, uh, with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, because thou hast loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Don't think that you hate wickedness more than Jesus does, because Jesus hates it. 
He hates it with a passion. Amen. Satanic ritual abuse, Amen. rape, molestation. God hates it. You know why? Because he loves so strongly. So 